Welcome back to another episode of the Black Brothers, Two Confirmations. My name is Paul. My name is Chris. And today we are jumping back in on the point of decentralization and the spectrum and the factors that lead to projects being on one side of the spectrum to the other. So Chris, tell you what's the, the aspect that we're diving into that impacts that spectrum. We want to take a look at some of the, the, the parts of consensus model that, that we understand. Uh, of course, uh, crypto is this onion where you, you start to look at a layer and you think you understand that one layer and you peel it back and uh, only lo and behold, there's another layer underneath. Um, but the, the, the layer of um, you know, decentralization and of uh, consensus models, the aspect of a consensus model that you and I are interested in is uh, you know, a couple examples would be like proof of work, uh, proof of stake, um, and, and how uh, a little bit of how those work, but, but really the, the why behind them. You know, they're mechanisms, but mechanisms for what? Like, you know, how does it, if I think of an engine, it's like you could start talking so much about the nitty gritty of like the piston here and the valve here. But at the end of the day, what does it do? Well, it powers your car to go, right? And so we're excited about some of these nitty gritty things because of what it empowers. It allows a car to go in a certain direction. And so uh, we wanna, uh, towards the end of this talk, talk about like the benefit, you know, why behind, um, why do these matter, you know? And then before we get into the, you said the nitty gritty and the, and the differences between them, um, I'm, I'm intrigued to get to know um, one, where they're each at, you know, today, but two, like the, the pros and maybe cons of each. Because I, I think for us, again, we tend to appreciate or um, lend ourselves to wanting to find projects that are more decentralized. Yeah. But I think what, but what we've come across, or at least what I think we're going to talk about today, is you know, you get a project that is, let's say, more decentralized. It's let's say it's more distributed in one in one capacity but then it's not secure or it's not fast. And so how do you have these different trade-offs uh, with the technology? Can you have it all? Can you be uh, as decentralized as possible? Uh, maybe you can talk about that graph that we can, that we can put in the show notes and, 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 and show like, you know, if you are decentralized, you know, what does it actually mean? And so when we get into the, the, the aspects of the, the mechanism that when they achieve consensus, when they, you know, the protocols and how they work, you know, what's the trade-off? What are they really being decentralized? And does that mean, you know, that, that they're secure? Or, you know, what, what we'll dive into, you know, what is it that, what, what are you missing when you do get a more distributed network? So that, that picture that we wanted to, to talk about, it, it's got um, three different, um, I don't want to say graphs, or three different pictures of like how can, nodes can be organized. So on the left, we've got centralized, in the middle, decentralized, and on the right, distributed. So uh, starting with centralized on the left, um, when I think of uh, the Federal Reserve, you know, it's this one entity controlled by the government that decides when they print money and when they don't, right? Um, and uh, another one would be like uh, Facebook would be a trusted, uh, what's called a trusted third party that uh, has control over all of that data. You know, they can censor people, they can, say, no, you're not allowed back on, or we didn't like your name, and so we're not gonna uh, let you do that. So they have these set of rules. Um, 
and and then they also have people working there that that an individual person even if the corporation might say hey no we're, we're not going to do it this way somebody at the company might um, might break that rule and steal all the data or give access um, to a, a third party without everybody in the company knowing it you know um, or then hackers it also becomes this uh, centralized point where somebody could try and hack into Facebook and get all of the data, right? So they call it a honeypot, where it's just this, you know, centralized area where all that that stuff is located. And then uh, decentralized uh, still has nodes of information, but where there's not one entity controlling it, um, where there's you know a few pockets. So that this is a picture of like maybe a whole bunch of spider webs like all connected together. Um, and then distributed where there's no nodes where where there's many connections um, and there, there's not like a, you know each node maybe has five or six connections to other nodes around it um, and so there's not like uh, kind of centralized points at all. So what are some of the trade-offs here? Like I, I think of centralized and even think of the Amazon Web Services. Mm -hmm. People choose them because they're maybe faster or it's cheaper. Um, so that it, there is a trade-off or it's you know, it's beneficial to have a centralized service, but there's also the, the cons, which, which you talked about. The decentralized or distributed, what are some of the negatives of having that, you know, multiple nodes in different places? Yeah. Um, so uh, if we, like a, a totally distributed network um, would be like a peer-to-peer. -peer. So like BitTorrent is an example, or um, yeah, BitTorrent would be a good example of a totally distributed network. So uh, some of the problems are like uh, upgrading the network. Uh, you can't force everybody to upgrade because there's no one place to upgrade the software, right? And so you can have multiple people all running different versions of the software. Um, and uh, so if, if you say like, no, like you know, you're the software developer, um, you know, if you're one of the software developers, you might say, hey, this is gonna be a better way to do it and you put it out there and then nobody actually clicks to upgrade, you know, or if if your upgrade requires people to have a better, like a newer version of a computer, and most of the people out there aren't running that newer computer, then they're not gonna upgrade, right? And so you can't force like the, the servers to upgrade their hardware, right? So it's dependent on all the people out there. Um, it's also, it can be much slower. Um, so depending upon what you're trying to do, um, you know, a distributed network, like uh, I recently downloaded the Tor browser and it's using um, a decentralized uh, network of computers to mask the IP addresses and to mask, you know, where the traffic is coming from and going to. But the drawback is that um, it's much slower than the normal uh, internet um, because it's relying on this decentralized um, set of uh, computers that are masking all of this. Um, it's, it's almost like another internet on top of the internet. Um, and so it's got the benefit of, of, you know, protecting your privacy, but the drawback is that it's way slower. And then I'm gonna kind of reference this, 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 this image. So for anyone that wants to pull it up, it's I think a good, a good framework to think about as we dive into these, uh, a few of the specific aspects of, of how to achieve consensus, uh, you can kind of, you know, get a visual for 
okay, it's got to take a lot of energy to power that network, or it's got to, you know, how do they, how do they choose, you know, the upgrade? How does, how do you make, or you know, what they call governance? So these, these, these aspects, and and who controls which nodes? You know, what if one entity controls multiple nodes, and and you know that is, you know, that's no, is that any better than the current? centralized models right. and that's kind of the question we have at this heart of it is you know why does it matter what tech is utilized or or what tech as we say wins out and i think for us at the heart of it is well is this whole experiment is this whole uh the ambition and the promise of 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 uh the technology is it going to pr end up with solutions that we don't already have yeah. um, or we're we going to end up right back choosing speed and convenience um, and not security and uh, everyone having a voice and, 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 and access. And, and that to me is maybe start to hit on why, why are we even talking about this today? Yeah. Well, and, and I want to touch on some of um, the, the, what is this spectrum, right? So we're just saying centralized versus decentralized and then maybe even distributed. Um, but uh, you know, you, you probably remember that website Jackson Palmer put together. Uh, he's given it now to somebody else, but it, it, it said you know, the, the website was, are we, are we decentralized yet, right? Um, and you might think of that question as a yes or no question, but he really dug into it and was like, well, let's look at the hash power, right? Which is like the, what, what we're looking about, like the consensus model, um, you know, uh, all the computers, you know, is it just one computer or is it many computers and like where are those spread out like geographically, you know, and across different nations. So that's one aspect of decentralization. But then there's also the, the computer programmers, right? Like, so there's the, the development of it. Is the development centralized or decentralized? Um, and that's one of the contention points with Bitcoin is that there's these core developers that control um, the, the GitHub and not everybody knows uh, who's on that list. You know, that's, a, that's, that's something that Jackson pushed into and the Bitcoin core developers, you know, wouldn't actually allow that because they're, they're actually still wanting their privacy. And there, there's some reasons for it, but like, so that right now the Bitcoin development is actually fairly centralized. We don't even know how many people are actually core developers, right? Um, I'd, I'd say that it's actually still a good thing because it, it can be difficult to coordinate it you know, thousands of people all trying to commit code and like you could start branching off and having all these different forks of Bitcoin if, if you had, you know, for every decision you try to make, you'd fork Bitcoin, like that, that's no good. Um, so that, that's one of them. Uh, another would be the centralization or decentralization of the ownership of the network, or, you know, or of the tokens. So, uh, you know, the token ownership, like, how many people, you know, the top 100 wallets, which would just be like people that control those coins, you know, um, how, many, how much of the network do those top 100 wallets control? Um, and so that's an interesting question when you're looking at uh, projects like uh, XRP and slash the company Ripple um, or, uh, you know, Ethereum or, uh, you know, Bitcoin, for instance. So. Yeah, I know in the past I would have thought that only mattered because of, you know, maybe it's the, the market or the, the trading or you, the price volume, someone could manipulate the market with. But then, you know, when we get into this, the, um, how a project concedes consensus, I mean, um, when I'm kind of curious to ask you about proof, proof of stake, it's because then it becomes really valuable about who's mm -hmm. holding what. 
and who has the power to achieve the, the outcome and the future of the, of the project itself. Yeah. Although, as I've also heard it contended, well, then the masses would fork, for, you know, would fork from it. Right. Um, so maybe that's again, you talk about the onion, and <laughs> you start to get into like, well, there's, there's almost always, at least to date, there's always these like, hey, this could happen. It's like, well, if that happened, then this, you know, then yeah. this would evolve, and it's like. And so thus far, I mean, this is, you know, we're talking a time 10, 10 years into Bitcoin's history. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that, that the first one I'm asking about, proof of work, there, there's something to it. So mm -hmm. to, if, you, if you don't mind kind of jumping into some of these to, to give a flavor of just what the, the, the available technology that's out there. And, um, the biggest one being proof of work, because that's how Bitcoin's always been run and, and to date how Ethereum has been run. But... What, what does proof of work mean? What is it, what is it helping to uh, achieve? Sure. Uh, I will do my best to answer yeah. this. I've done, <laughs> I've done research. Uh, so uh, I'm by no means, you know, I want to qualify that I'm, I'm not an expert. I have not a software developer. I'm not an engineer, uh, but I am definitely a very passionate um, novice or uh, layman in this. That, uh, that that'll do my best. So um, the the analogy that I've heard is it's it's the the idea of mathematically flipping a coin and have having a whole bunch of computers all mathematically flip coins to decide who records uh, the next set of transactions. Um, and so um, because it, w you're not centralized, so. Um, an, an example of the centralized way of doing this would be if you're Wells Fargo and at the end of the night you need to decide, you know, like a, a, if you paid your mom and your mom lives in New York uh, and so your money is moving from your branch here in Tucson to the branch in New York, well those two branches have to, to agree, like your branch has to agree, okay, this $100 that Paul is paying his mom no longer is in Paul's account, um, Paul's branch, and it now is in the New York account, uh, you know, in their ledger, right? In their just like book that says who, who has what. Um, and so those two branches agree because Wolf Fargo is one company and, the, and they all just have this set of rules. And they say, okay, great. If it's out of Paul's, it's in there. Well, when you have decentralized, there's not a, a, like people are actually incentivized to disagree on the ledger, right? Like if, if I had a computer that was part of this consensus model, I might say like, you know, like, no, Paul didn't pay his mom. Paul paid me a hundred dollars. Like I want to write that down. So he'd cross that out and, and re I'd record that. And then I'd submit that to the, the group that's all saying, okay, what, what's our record of account? You know, and, and in Bitcoin, this happens every 10 minutes where they record the ledger, right? Where they record who, who has what coins. Um, and so the, the way that Satoshi Nakamoto, he, she, it, the, the group decided this was, well, every 10 minutes we'll write that down um, and we'll just flip a coin of who does what. Um, and um, there's a, a lot more to this, but I'm, I'm trying to con consolidate it. And so we'll flip the coin um, and, and the, that coin flip is actually trying to solve a mathematical equation. Um, and it's a difficult problem to solve, but easy to verify. So as soon as somebody solves that problem, they submit it and they submit it to all the nodes around them. And the nodes can be like, okay, did he really solve it? And they can say in an instant, yes, that's solved. 
okay, we're going to allow you to record all the transactions that happen. But somebody else uh, can, can verify that very easily. Um, so uh, in essence, uh, those computers are using power to run this, what's called a hashing algorithm or, or the hashing power, like their ability to compute this quickly. So, uh, you know, one part is they've paid money to buy these computers for hashing power, and then they're also trading electricity to run this, right? And so they're trading computing power and electricity uh, to get to record these transactions. Um, and, and, and so that's, uh, if you want to call that, that's their stake. They're staking computing power and electricity in order to get to record transactions. Um, and I put it in all those terms because it makes it easier for, for the next one. Cool. Yeah, I think you've, you've said before, it's uh, maybe in different words, you know, difficult to solve, easy to verify. And so these people who are putting in the work to win the coin flip or to be you know, selected, uh, or you said it's also being randomly selected, that computer power that's being staked or, or put in to, to do the work, uh, then whoever wins out is easily verified. Yep. And today, you know, the pros are it's, you know, it makes the network secure, and, and maybe you can explain a little bit why it makes it secure. But at the same time, the drawback is, of course, it, you know, people say it uses up consumption of power. Um, but at the same time, is that use of power, you know, worth it to create? You know, that's kind of the question of, you know, this, you know you're able to convert, you know, literally power into, you know, this, not just money itself, but into a you know, global network of, of, of freedom. You know, it's, it's a pretty, pretty, you know, unique uh, way to uh, use power. Yeah. Well, and like my counterpoint to the, the power issue is like, well, look at Wells Fargo. How much money do they pay in like people's salaries in the, the IT guy that's man maintaining the computers and having these brick and mortar businesses all just to move money around when in, in the digital age, like do we really need like all those physical branches? Do we really need like that bureaucracy and that network of computers that, that banks already have. And then there's even like the interchange, right? Like there's bank to bank stuff um, where they're paying ridiculous fees to just move money from one bank to another bank. Um, and, and the salaries that they're paying of those people uh, in those banks to, to, to do that, right? So, you know, think of the fund manager that works at Wells Fargo, that his job is to just keep making more money, right? So he, they're paying him how many millions of dollars? So. Uh, all that is said, like, you know, it's a trade-off, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you asked about uh, security of uh, the Bitcoin network. Um, so, you know, you and I both ran miners briefly, um, and uh, I could have tried to submit a false transaction, um, but because it was only me, um, I would have had to win the coin flip in order to submit that false transaction. And not only me, but um, I'd have to have a whole bunch of other people, in fact, I'd have to have 51% of the network, all agree that my transaction was the valid one um, in, in that, that right time. Um, and so that's, that's what's called a 51% attack, is where somebody tries to take over the network and to submit false transactions 
to do something called double spend, where they actually like, um, you know, if we go back to that Wells Fargo analogy where you said, hey, mom, I'm going to give you $100, but then you, at the same time, you actually say, oh, yeah, I'll write a check to you, Christopher, and I'll give you $100. So if you wrote two physical checks, but you actually made them the same check number and, like, you tried to, to make it exactly the same, well, then it, it, it might be a race of, like, when, when do those banks close? Whoever deposited those funds first, or if, if you could get both to deposit the funds at the exact same time, you might be able to try and fool Wells Fargo into like creating that extra hundred dollars out of thin air um, because of when it settled. And so Bitcoin settles every 10 minutes um, as that's actually part of the security model to try and prevent this double spending. Um, it also, uh, there's something that the six transactions where you would want to wait six transactions in order to, to verify that those funds weren't trying to be double spent because the probability of the whole network agreeing for six transactions, um, that six coin flips happen in a row and enough people agreed that those were, were correct, um, you would have to actually have more than 51% in order to have six transactions be correct. Uh, and I, I, I know this might all sound funny, I'm trying to not go. No, I think it's great because it, it brings up the, the you know, what we talked about was maybe a negative of the power consumption, but actually becomes a positive right. because in order to uh, um, commit to a 51% attack or, or greater, you have to be willing to exert and be incentivized to, to um, have that type of, of power. So the yeah. more, again, they talk about the more miners and the more hash power that's contributed to the network as a whole, and the more spread out those miners are, again, a pro of decentralized or being more distributed is then more security or the harder it becomes then to, in this case, a proof of work, harder it becomes to um, take over the network. Exactly. Yeah, and there, there's some things that, that are uh, actually building on top of Bitcoin, like Lightning Network, that will solve it much quicker. Um, but there, there are also trade-offs there, right? Yeah. So like the, the, every project, um, <laughs> in fact, one of my favorite quotes lately is, uh, and I, I don't remember who it's attributed to, but it's, um, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. And I love that quote because, um, you know, it's like, oh, well, this piece of software that's way more expensive, like it would solve it way, more, way better. Yeah, but it's more expensive. So like you're, you're trading the time that you spend, you know, you, you know, time for money, right? That's a trade-off right there. Like, do I want to spend time or do I want to spend money, you know? Um, and so each one of these projects, um, there, there's just trade-offs. Uh, between them. So let's let's dive into another trade-off uh, uh, rather than another solution. <laughs> uh, proof, proof of stake. What's what's this about? Yeah. Uh, so I, I often think of this as uh, you know if we're thinking of uh, proof of work was you know maybe five people with computers sitting around a, a poker table like flipping coins and they had their computers flipping coins right. Um, it, instead of uh, doing a hashing algorithm to decide who flips the next coin. In proof of stake, again, you might have those same five people. Uh, I'm simplifying the, the whole network down to five people just <laughs> to make it easier, right? You might have them, them sitting at a poker table, but instead of like having computers trying to flip the coin, um, you would have them staking a certain amount of coins or a certain amount of money um, and saying, uh, 
I'm gonna stake this amount of, you know, let's say a hundred dollars worth of tokens that are in our network, and I stake this, and I agree. And I'm, I'm thinking of Casper or of the eventual where where Ethereum's going as an example. Of this, again, there's many models of how to do proof of stake in Casper or in, in the eventual way that Ethereum's thinking of doing proof of stake right now would be you'd stake coins and there's there's also a slashing function. So I'm gonna stake $100 worth of coins and I agree to follow the rules, right? Which is, one of the rules is uh, we're gonna all run this, uh, this randomizing function and whoever solves this function first gets to, to, to do it. Um, gets to uh, record the next set of transactions. But instead of every 10 minutes, we're gonna do it every three seconds, right? So that we're gonna do it way faster. Um, but if, if, you know, let's say 100 transactions down the road, if two minutes down the road, we find, oh, hey, you know, Jim over, you know, one of these five guys that's sitting around this poker table doing this, he'd try to double spend two minutes ago, you know, in, in block 50. He tried to double spend. Okay, he loses all of his stakes. So he actually has a slashing function. And actually, if I'm the one that, that discovers that, I actually get 1% of whatever he, uh, he staked, you know, whatever was in that pool. And so that's a way of incentivizing um, in a decentralized network um, following the rules, right? Because uh, if, if you just, I think of it as gangsters, like what's incentivizing them to follow the rules? Like, the, you know, the, like they're, they're all kind of holding guns to each other's heads and um, what's to prevent one gangster from just taking over all of it, right? Well, you, you have to build into place, into this consensus mechanism, a way to, to where it actually benefits everybody to follow the rules. And if they don't follow the rules, there's a disincentive, right? And so, even in, in Bitcoin and even in these other proof of work systems, there's people that are, tr are testing this out. They're actually saying, are we sure that that really is the case? Well, I'm gonna try and not follow the rules. I'm actually gonna try and attack the network and see like, it, it, did Satoshi actually write this correctly where, where it is the most beneficial to follow the rules? So in decentralization, it, it's fascinating to, to watch because you'll see people fork the coin, you'll see people attack the network. Um, and so in proof of stake that it still has yet to be seen, is this really the best way to do consensus? Because people are gonna attack it, and, and by attack I mean like they might try and double spend or they might try and not follow the rules and do people catch them and do they lose their stake? Um, or in others, like there's something distributed proof of stake or there's, um, uh, a delegated proof of stake, which is what um, EOS and what Steam use, where you, there's not even a slashing function. So you, you stake your coins, but you don't actually lose it if you don't follow the rules. So that's where I'm, uh, uh, it just, you, in those, you just don't get to vote in, in the future. So you lose, you, you could try and double spend, you might do it, but then you don't get to participate in future rounds. So that's how they're trying to accomplish it. That to me is also that why the you know, distribution of the tokens or the, the, the holders or the, the owners you know, matters because you know, not just the, the, the recording of the transactions, but as a network making decisions together, upgrades or 
um, you know, kickbacks maybe for people or holding or staking. You know, if you have someone that's willing to influence it and maybe in a, a more selfish way, that's not going to be. Again, we just end up back with the current current solutions. Yep. Um, so that's kind of that I found fascinating getting to learn like, oh, who are I mean, if you move the proof to stake, who are the people put, um, able to stake? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I think you and I having this perspective today, it's been fascinating having been been in this. I'd say for at least a year now where we can look back and, and like I was all excited when, when Ethereum said, hey, we're gonna move to proof of stake and we're gonna do this, you know, Casper um, uh, FFT friendly finality gadget and then they're gonna move to this other one, right? Uh, and they still haven't moved to proof of stake even though, they, oh yeah, in the next year we're gonna move to proof of stake and they haven't done it yet because it's actually really difficult. Um, but, uh, I, I used to look down on Bitcoin because it takes so long for them to one come to consensus to upgrade the network and to, to change things, right? So they've got these Bitcoin improvement projects, this BIP32, BIP, you know, 138 or whatever. But now looking back at it, I actually think that that's a feature, right? That's that's a benefit of Bitcoin that it takes a long time to upgrade. Um, and so it's been around the longest and it ta it's hard to change. I think that's gonna improve, like that, that actually means it's a good store of value versus Ethereum is like move fast and break things, but um, they might move fast and break something and it could take down the whole network and they have to like back up to a previous version, which they've done once before with the DAO hack, right? Um, and so like this ability to actually like have a network governance all decide, oh, we're gonna try it, we're gonna back up the network and, and change it. Like, that's, uh, is, is that something that we, a network should allow, right? Like, that's a good question. That that, that means that, that Ethereum is a, just a big beta network. Like, it's still this test, you know? And that brings up something that we kinda wanna finish things off with, unless you wanna dive into the other you know, aspects of reaching consensus. But this idea, like, you know, why does, why does this decentralization matter? Why do coming, coming up with the best trade-offs matter? Um, and, and I think for us, it was coming back to, oh, it's so that we don't end up in the same place we were before. And one of the things that we saw recently, you know, written was, you know, this, the reason it matters and the reason we don't want to end up in the same place we've been before is because some rules need to be broken. And, and maybe you can share what, you know, what does that mean? What is, why, why do we want to break rules? Yeah, well, and I'd love to, to link to the, in our show notes, that Medium article um, written by the, uh, the gentleman that was originally part of the, uh, BitTorrent, um, you know, the, the company BitTorrent, um, and his take on why decentralization matters. And, um, you know, I read the articles and read the, the, the tweet storm around it. And the, the, the most salient point to me um, that, that the tweet storm mentioned was that uh, decentralization allows you to break rules. And so, you know, he analyzed a lot of these projects that were out there and is saying, look, it, it's, it's great that you're trying to be decentralized, but you, you're doing something that would actually make more sense to just have a centralized network, you know, on... AWS running a centralized uh, ledger uh, and, and just run it that way. Like it doesn't make sense to, to try. Like 
why do you want a decentralized Uber? Like, what rules are you trying to break? And so, uh, to me, that was an interesting question. Um, and uh, I, I think an answer to that for us, you know, one answer, and uh, so I'll answer this one and let you jump in, is, you know, it, it, allows, uh, it allows people to circumvent censorship, right? So that's something that Bitcoin, or, or one of our favorite projects, Blockstack, is really focusing it on is um, censorship, censorship resistance. Like when you control where your data is stored, when you control your keys, um, and that no one else can, can prevent you from spending your money, that's censorship resistant. And then, you know, uh, what other rules are being broken or what value does this have to do? What is this all about? And, and one of them being privacy, you know, in some, some cases, this is just simply the, the privacy of, of not having to do a, maybe a KYC or, or you know, would it be investment opportunity or rather just being, hey, I want to own, own my money and not have the government, you know, this, in this case, it was censorship resistance, but in a certain sense, have the privacy of, of you know, owning the money. But in some of the projects like Monero, there's, you know, the built out capacity to have true privacy. And so to be able to, in the future, again, have payment solutions or have transactional um, opportunities that are not uh, publicly uh, known is, again, a rule that would break, you know, the very known, you know, every, you know, you know where you're being logged into, you know where you're, you know, you know everything that's going on. Um, and, you know, to, this is a point we'll likely make quite often that we don't experience this in the U.S. And, uh, you know, I don't tend to worry about my government saying, no, you can't have your money, right? Going to bank account. Uh, Andreas Anatopoulos, who wrote, you know, Mastering Bitcoin, Mastering Ethereum, like he's experienced it three times in his life where, uh, you know, government's just printing money for fun and devaluing, you know, on Friday, you go to, to do something and then uh, you, you're not able to do it, you know, like go to the doctor's office. And then on Monday, the procedure's twice as much because, uh, because the government just kept printing money, right? Um, and we experienced this today, like looking at India, um, the, when you log into your bank account today, the, the banks are saying, do you promise to not use crypto? Uh, and you have to click yes in order to log in or in order to create your account. And like, and I was reading a book um, by uh, this author, you know, completely not related to finance or anything, right? Uh, on the meaning of life, like by Ravi Zachariah, you know, uh, on this like religious book. And, and yet he was talking about when he moved from India to Canada and how his dad had all this retirement money and they couldn't bring any of it to Canada. And so his dad retired in India had to move to Canada and had to start a brand new life and, and they were not allowed to bring any of that money with them and they had to just completely start over from scratch. Even though they weren't refugees, they were like citizens that were like legally doing this and yet they weren't allowed to bring their money that they had earned for 40 years uh, over to another country. And that's just crazy to me, like because I live in the United States, I don't think about that. So that speaks to ownership, right? Like that. Um, I think you were telling the story of you were working with your dad and you typed in into the treasure like some your seed words and instantly had access to your funds where, where your treasure was stored safely and somewhere else. But whether you had memorized those words or not, 
you know, if somebody memorizes their seed words, uh, they they could go from one country to another, and no one could could prevent your memory from having access to those seed words. And then you could start up your your same wallet in another country on your cell phone or on a Trezor or on a computer or on a hard wallet, uh, hardware wallet, and boom, you instantly have access to all of your funds. Um, and so uh, it, no longer are you prevented from carrying $10,000 because you've got it all in your memory, potentially. Like, so that's the beauty of this technology that just, it, it boggles my mind and it's fascinating <laughs> that, that um, you know, like uh, thinking about concentration camps with the, the Jews, that uh, I, I read somebody uh, talking about that, that they moved from carrying um, physical money to becoming doctors, becoming lawyers and musicians because then they were valuable just in their trade craft, right? So they could go to another country and instantly they were valuable again because the, knowledge, the, the value was in their heads. And now this is another way to, to carry the, that, that value in your head. Yeah. So. Yeah, all right. I, uh, yeah, I think of, again, we have, again, this point of why does this matter? You know, why does this, you know, the, the ability to have these options to, to break those rules, um, again, is why we're doing this today. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, the, the one last thing that, that I want to bring up is just um, it's this idea of self-sovereignty, right? That um, and it, it, I think that encapsulates a lot of the themes that we've been talking about, that uh, you're basically the owner of your own destiny um, and that uh, you control your privacy, you control your keys, you control your finances. Um, and I, I think that concept is going to continue to be unraveled like an onion. Um, or peel, peel back like an onion. Um, we're gonna discover in the, the you know, 21st century what it means to be self-sovereign um, thanks to crypto. And that, even though that was our last bit, I, I it spurred another thing we'll put in the show notes, but it was, a, um, we're recording this in 2019, and, and, and one of the projections um, was written by, um, I, I think the Twitter handle was Arjun, um, and, and he um, spoke uh, about Twitter, I'm sorry, crypto in its current capacity and Bitcoin specifically, you know, its biggest use case, again, you talk about the perspective here in the U.S. versus elsewhere in the country, in the, in, in the adoption and, and the growth of it, you know, not just, just being a need and breaking rules, you know, here on out, you know, what's gotten us excited about it, but it's actually today, it actually is, you know, that's where the biggest growth right now is happening, are in other countries where those rules are needing to be broken to give people their own freedom, give them their own capacity, control their own destiny, control their own future. And so while that's uh, something that everyone wants, it's probably the most pressing in, in certain regions of the, of the world. And that's what I think is interesting to highlight now is that is the use case, <laughs> now. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll link to that as well. It, it, that was why, even though there's projections for the future, it was like, this is what's happening now. Like this is the value of the network. Well, I, I don't want to wrap this up because I'm all fired up now, Paul. Like, uh, I want to keep talking about this and, and uh, you know, uncovering more technology and, and discovering more of these aspects. And just um, it, every time you and I sit down and talk, uh, you know, whether it's b b not recorded before this or <laughs> when it's recorded. So um, I'm excited to, to bring you listeners along with us as we continue to, to dive into technology to uncover these exciting aspects uh, of the, the crypto world. 
Till next time. Till next time.